Book Three, The Pathfinders of Africa, Chapter Nineteen of the Book of Missionary Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Missionary Heroes by Basil Matthews, Chapter Nineteen, The Roadmaker, Alexander McKay date 1878 after many months of delay at zanzibar mckay with his companions and bearers started on his tramp of hundreds of miles along narrow footpaths often through swamps delayed by fierce greedy chiefs who demanded many cloths before they would let the travelers pass one of the little band of missionaries had already died of fever when hundreds of miles from the coast mckay was stricken with fever and nearly died his companions sent him back to the coast again to recover and they themselves went on and put together the daisy the boat which the bearers had carried in sections on their heads on the shore of victoria nanza so mckay racked with fever was carried back by his africans over the weary miles through swamp and forest to the coast at last he was well again and with infinite labor he cut a great wagon road for 230 miles to Mpapwa. With pick, shovel, axe, and saw, they cleared the road of trees for a hundred days. Mackay wrote home as he sat at night, tired by the side of his half-made road. This will certainly yet be a highway for the king himself, and all that pass this way will come to know his name. At length, after triumphing by sheer skill and will over a thousand difficulties mckay reached the southern shore of victoria nanza ekagii to find that his surviving companions had gone on to uganda in an arab sailing dhow leaving on the shore the daisy which had been too small to carry them on the beach by the side of that great inland sea victoria nanza in the heart of africa mckay found the now broken and leaking daisy her cedar planks were twisted and had warped in the blazing sun till every seam gaped a hippopotamus had crunched her bow between his terrible jaws many of her timbers had crumbled before the still greater foe of the african boat builder the white ant now under her son lay the man who could turn his hand to anything on his back with hammer and chisel in hand he was riveting a plank of copper on the hull of the daisy. Already he had nailed sheets of zinc and lead on stern and bow, and had driven cotton wool picked from the bushes by the lake into the seams to caulk some of the leaks. Around the boat stood crowds of Africans, their dark faces full of astonishment at the white man mending his big canoe. Why should a man toil so terribly hard, they wondered the tribesmen of the lake had only canoes hollowed out of a tree trunk or made of some planks sewn together with fibers from the banana tree at last mckay had his boat ready to sail up the victoria nanza the whole of the length of that great sea itself larger than his own native scotland still separated mckay from the land of uganda for which he had left britain over fifteen months earlier 
all through his disappointments and difficulties mackay fought on with him as with livingstone nothing had power to break his spirit or quench his burning determination to carry on his god-given plan to serve africa every use of saw and hammer and chisel every trick of the tools true trade all the training in the shipbuilding yards and engineering shops at edinburgh and in germany helped mackay to invent some new daring and ingenious way out of every fresh difficulty the wreck of the daisy now at last the daisy was on the water again and mackay and his bearers went aboard and hoisting sail from kagei ran northward before they had gone far black storm clouds swept across the sky night fell lightning blazed unceasingly and flung up into silhouette the wild outlines of the mountains to the east the roar of the thunder echoed above the wail of the wind and the thrashing of the waves all through the dark mackay and those of his men who could handle an oar rowed unceasingly again and again he threw out his twenty phantom line but in vain he made out a dim line of precipitous cliffs yet the water seemed phantomless the only map in existence was a rough one that stanley had made at last the lead touched bottom at fourteen fathoms in the dim light of dawn they rowed and sailed toward a shady beach before the cliffs and anchored in three and a half fathoms of water the storm passed but the waves from the open sea came roaring in and broke over the daisy the bowsprit dipped under the anchor chain and the whole bulwark on the weather side was carried away the next sea swept into the open and now sinking boat by frantic efforts they heaved up the anchor and the next wave swung the daisy with a crash onto the beach where the waves pounded her to a complete wreck wrenching the planks from the keel but mackay and his men managed to rescue her cargo before she went to pieces they were wrecked on a shore where stanley the great explorer had years before had a hairbreadth escape from massacre at the hands of the wild savages but stanley leaving up to the practice he had learned from livingstone had turned enemies into friends and now the natives made no attack on the shipwrecked mackay for eight weeks mackay labored there hard on the edge of the lake living on the beach in a tent made of spars and sails with hammer and chisel and saw he worked on sparingly at his task he cut the middle eight feet from the boat and bringing her stern and stem together patched the broken ends with wood from the middle part after two months work the now dumpier daisy took the water again and carried mackay and his men safely up the long shores of victoria nanza to the goal of all his traveling the capital of matesa king of uganda the rolling tattoo of goatskin drums filled the reception hall of king matesa as the great tyrant entered with his chiefs matesa his dark cruel heavy face in vivid contrast with his spotless white robe sat heavily down on his stool of state while brazen trumpets sent to him from england blared as mackay entered the chiefs squatted on low stools and on the rush-strewn mud floor before the king at his side stood his prime minister the katikuru a smaller man than the king 
but swifter and more far-sighted. The Katikiru was dressed in a snowy white Arab gown, covered by a black mantle trimmed with gold. In his hard, guilty face, treacherous cunning and masterful cruelty were blended. Matisa was gracious to Mackay, and gave him land on which to build his home. More important to Mackay than even his hut was his workshop, where he quickly fixed his forge and anvil, vice and lathe, and grindstone, for he was now in the place where he could practice his skill. It was for this that he had left home and friends, and pressed on in spite of fever and shipwreck to serve Africa and lead her to the worship of Jesus Christ by working and teaching as our Lord did when on earth. One day the wide thatched roofs of that workshop shaded from the flaming rays of the sun a crowded circle of the chiefs of Uganda with their slaves, who loved to come to hear the bellows roar. They were gazing at Mackay, whose strong bare right arm was swinging his hammer. Clang, a clang, clang. Then a ruddy glow lit up the dark faces of the watchers and the bronze face of the white man, who in the center of his workshop was blowing up his forge fire. Gripping in his pincers the iron hoe that was now red-hot, Mackay hammered it into shape and then plunged it all, hissing into the bath of water that stood by him. Hardly had the cloud of steam risen from the bath when Mackay once more gripped the hoe and, moving to his grindstone, placed his foot on the pedal and set the edge of the hoe against the whirling stone. The sparks flew high, a murmur came from the Uganda chiefs who stood around. It is witchcraft, they said to one another. It is witchcraft by which Mazunga wa Kazi makes the hard iron tenfold harder in the water. It is witchcraft by which he sends the wheels round and makes our hose sharp. Surely he is the great wizard. Mackay caught the sound of the new name they had given him. Mazunga wa Kazi the white man at work. They called him by this name because to them it was very strange that any man should work with his own hands. Women are for work, said the chiefs. Men go to talk with the king and to fight and eat. Mackay paused in his work and turned on them. No, he said, you are wrong. God made man with one stomach and with two hands in order that he may work twice as much as he eats. And Mackay held out before them his own hands, blackened with the work of the smithy, rough with the handling of hammer and saw, the file and lathe. But you, and he turned on them with a laugh, and pointed to their sleek bodies as they shone in the glow of the forge fire. You are all stomach and no hands. They grinned sheepishly at one another under this attack and as mackay let down the fire and put away his tools they strolled off the hill on which the king's beehive-shaped thatched palace was built mackay climbed up the hill on the side of which his workshop stood from the ridge he gazed over the low-lying marsh from which the women were bearing on their heads the water-pots he knew that the men and women of the land were suffering from fearful illnesses he now realized that the fevers came from the poisonous waters of the marsh. He made up his mind how he could help them with his skill. They must have pure water, 
yet they knew nothing of Wells. McKay at once searched the hillside with his spade and found a bed of clay emerging from the side of the hill. He climbed sixteen feet higher up the hill, and bringing the men who could help him together, began digging. He knew he would reach spring water at the level of the clay, for the rains that had filtered through the earth would stop there. The Baganda thought he was mad. Whoever, they asked one another, heard of digging in the top of a hill for water? When the hole is so deep, said McKay, measuring out sixteen feet, water will come, pure and clean, and you will not need to carry it up the hill from the marsh. They dug and dug, till the hole was too deep to hurl the earth up over the edge. Then McKay made a pulley, which seemed a magic thing to them, for they could not yet understand the working of wheels, and with rope and the bucket the earth was pulled up. Exactly at the depth of sixteen feet the water welled in. The Baganda clapped their hands and danced with delight. McKay is the great wizard. He is the mighty spirit, they cried. The king must come to see this. King Matissa himself wondered at the story of the making of the well and the finding of the water. He gave orders that he was to be carried to view this great wonder. His eyes rolled with astonishment as he saw it, and heard of wonders that were wrought by the work of men. Yet Matissa and his men still wondered why any man should work hard. Mackay tried to explain this to the king when he sat in his reception hall. Work, Mackay told Matissa, is the noblest thing a man can do. And he told him how Jesus Christ, the son of the great Father Spirit who made all things, did not himself feel that work was a thing too mean for him. For our Lord, when he lived on earth at Nazareth, worked with his own hands at the carpenter's bench, and made all labor forever noble. End of chapter 19